Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Believer's Church, how are we doing this morning? You're looking good? Yes, this beautiful winter morning, winter wonderland. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Joe, and I get to serve on our lead team, and you picked an amazing weekend to come to church. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to be finishing up this series called The Table, and I want to just give a quick shout out to Pastor Joe and Pastor Graham for the last two weeks. They did a phenomenal job, and so if you've been out and about or weren't able to make it or weren't feeling well, I can't encourage you enough. Go to believers.cc. Uh, you can download the Believers Church app. It's, it's completely free. Um, you can watch it, listen to it as many times as you like, and get caught up because this is a series that kind of pulls back the curtain on who we are as a church and why we exist. And uh, if you're new here, you picked an amazing week to come because you're going to get to see what makes us tick. And so we want to welcome you to the table. And you might be asking yourself like, hey, what is the table all about? Like, what does it represent? And that's a great question. The table uh, is a metaphor that's used in the Bible throughout the Old Testament and New, and it represents this thing called the church. It's so cool that we get to actually pull up a seat at the table, and we get to spiritually have a meal and spiritually be fed. Now, now, what's the food? Well, John 6, 35 actually says it this way. This is Jesus speaking about himself. He says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never hunger again, and whoever believes in me will never thirst again. So it's pretty amazing. He's making this powerful statement that in a world that promises us that we can be satisfied and fulfilled by all of these other things, Jesus is saying, no, you're only wired and created to be satisfied by one thing, and it's me. And it's why he tells us to pray prayers like, God, give us this day our daily bread, because he wants us to have a daily, living, breathing, vibrant encounter with his presence and with him as we pull up to the table. Now, at the table, there's this one person, actually, it's Pastor Joe, and last week he got to talk a little bit about himself and what his role is at the table, and he called himself, I love this, he called himself the dude with the food. Wasn't that pretty good? So he's the guy that every week he kind of makes the main meal, and that's a privilege, but I can tell you on weekends like today, uh, it's a responsibility, and I don't take it lightly, and neither does he. Uh, He's tasked with rightly dividing the Word of God making sure that we have a well-rounded spiritual diet. That's a big deal. And so all of us should have a table somewhere that we are pulling up to consistently so we can be nourished and fed and so that ultimately we can grow. Now, last week he actually talked about this chair the entire time, chair one. Chair one, if you missed it, it represents somebody who is far from God. Uh, somebody that's not yet a part of the family, that we actually exist for chair one is what he talked about. He called us a chair one church. And that's pretty amazing. Like, one of the things that I wear as a badge of honor is that every weekend there are tons and tons of people who are coming here, invited to the table for the first time, many of them far from God. And if you're new here, we have this environment called Next, and it's kind of like what a membership class would be in most other churches. It's just this opportunity for people to ask the question, what is my next step in my journey at the table? And so here's the cool thing. Once someone comes and pulls up a seat, like some are doing today, by the way, welcome. We're so excited that you're here. And they make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their life. The Bible actually talks about how they are grafted into the family of God. How cool is that? And so the minute that they make that decision, they don't stay at chair one. They actually graduate to chair two. Now, chair two is a brand new believer or a baby. Uh, This isn't just a chair. Imagine with me for a moment that this is a high chair. 
This is the space at the table that gets a little bit messy. And there's a uh, food, and there's like maybe a 10-foot perimeter of carrots and peas and applesauce and everything you can imagine. And they're just having a fun time. And everybody loves hanging out with the baby because they're so cute. And they're just learning. And listen, you got to know that here at Believer's Church, we love having babies here. Like, we love it that you can come here and not know a thing about the Bible and not feel intimidated or threatened at all. Welcome. We're excited that you're here. But ultimately, here's, here's what happens. As we grow, as we mature, as we eat the bread of life and, and we keep coming to this table, we grow ultimately and we graduate finally to chair three. And chair three is a spiritual adult. Uh, this is a spiritual parent at the table. And if we could sum up chair three with one word, I would say chair three equals maturity. So here's the question that we're answering today. How do I, if I'm in chair one, how do I get from chair one to chair three. What does the journey look like of changing chairs in this thing called the church? And uh, I, I want to just talk to you today for the next couple of minutes, have a conversation about what I believe the process looks like. It's a journey called maturity. And I want to jump right in. The, the first thing that maturity means in our life, maturity means I stay at the table. Maturity means I stay at the table. Um, I'm a parent, and I have a seven-year-old son with my beautiful wife, Erin. She's on the front row. So we've been a parent for seven years. Are you following? You tracking with us? We also have a beautiful daughter who's five, and her name is Riley. So some days, I got to be honest, I'll look over at Aaron and I'm like, man, our parenting game is on point. Like, we got this down. Like, I woke up all by myself, and I fed the kids, and I washed them and cleaned them off behind their ears and everything. I, like, I can't do a braid yet, but I can, like, sometimes even do my daughter's hair, which that's a miracle in and of itself if you know me. And sometimes I'll be, like, trying to do what she asked me, and she looks at me, and she's like, Daddy, you're so bad at hair. Mommy's so much better. And I'm like, you're right. Go ask Mommy to do it. But, but most, most days I feel like, man, I am, like, right there in the parenting game, but there's this one, there's this one thing that happens a couple times a week that makes me feel like I am a parent failure, and uh, it's called dinner time. Anybody relate to this as a parent? Like, um, you can be having an amazing day, and one of the things we try to do, we attempt to, to do this a couple times a week, is actually eat a family meal at the dinner table, because we're pretty busy, and you know how it is. You're on the run, and you're grabbing meals to go, and there's just something so cool about actually pulling up to the table, eating, looking into each other's eyes, asking them, what did you do today? And Riley loves to tell these amazing stories, and sometimes it's just entertaining just to hear them pray. Uh, when my son was little, uh, he was just kind of learning how to speak, and he would just imitate how we would pray. So Typically, we start out our prayer with Father God, and Joey couldn't quite spit it out that way, so he would always say, Dear Father God, and we would try so hard to hold it in because it was so cute, and uh, it was just a fun time. Now, I don't know if anybody else can relate to this as a parent, but about 30 seconds into every meal, like the minute that we tell them you have to stay seated, there is like a switch that flips in a child's brain where they say, I'm not going to stay seated for anything. And so then like we're, we're a couple minutes into the meal and they're telling me about something. And Joey is all of a sudden in the family room doing a handstand against the wall. Riley's doing cartwheels and somersaults across the floor. Someone is like orchestrating an imaginary choir with a drumstick from their chicken. I mean, just... Anything you can imagine to not eat, that's what they're doing. Like they never, you cannot pry them away from their toys for long enough to go to the bathroom. But the minute that I tell them to eat their peas, they got to go pee. Like that's just the way they roll in our house. And so we have these ground rules at the table. Anybody have rules at your house for how, how things go? I bet you do. Our, our rule at the table is you cannot get up from your seat until your meal is done, until your plate is clean. Stay at the table. That's what we tell them, right? 
Now, some of you, as you look at this setting, it's creating some anxiety in you. Like, you're kind of having these flashbacks to Thanksgiving. You're like, I don't know, Joe, the last time I saw a table that looked like this, I sit next to Uncle Ned, and he talked to me for three and a half hours straight without taking a breath about politics. And I don't know if I have it in me to go back to Christmas mealtime with my family. And some of you are like, man, I brought my girlfriend for the first time to the house this Thanksgiving, and uh, they wanted to know when I was going to propose to her. And that was the center of the conversation, the entire meal. Some of you, the last time you were at a setting like this, you had a real big disagreement and you're like I haven't been back since and it's just very easy to kind of pull away from the table actually just to kind of prove my point I found this video that I thought you would appreciate this kind of perfectly depicts what I'm talking about Anyone want another crescent roll? Phil, crescent roll. Look. Nancy, stop it. Okay. 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 Looks like we're going to get a lot of snow tonight. What? what? Wow. We're, wow. We're going Al Roker just showed up. Thank you for that. Who's a hundred? Who's a hundred today? That's what I'm What's it going to be like in a week? Is it going to rain? Who turned a hundred? Judy, come on. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Grow up. Sit down. Sit down. Wow. Thank God that's not our family, right? Some of you are like, that's my family, Joe, and we're praying for you. We're praying for you. Um, I didn't do that to bring back haunting memories. I just, I wanted to prove a point. It's funny, like, one of the things that I've noticed is um, it's just always easier to eat on the go. It's always easier and, and more convenient to just eat where I am instead of being intentional about pulling up to the table in the natural sense. Uh, some of us, like, we just can kind of get into the habit. I mean, the average American eats about once a day at a fast food restaurant. It's just the way it is. And I, I was just looking at this picture and thinking, man, this is what can happen in this thing called the church. I don't know if you've ever seen someone that has had this happen in their life, but I mean, sometimes we can pull up to the table at the church and we just have all of these expectations that are just like way up here. And it's like, man, these people will never let me down. They all love Jesus like I do. So they're all perfect. And there's never going to be a mistake or a disagreement or an argument. And anybody that's been in the church longer than a couple of months knows that that is just unfortunately not the reality. I mean, with a church that says there are no perfect people allowed, I think it's helpful for us to just point out that where there are people, there are problems and there are challenges. Uh, one of the things that Pastor Bill, who's one of the counselors on our staff and does a lot of things, he always says this. He said, hey, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people, right? Like, and, it, and we all love each other, but it's just there's something about the more you get around people, the more they are going to challenge you. And here's what I've noticed can happen. Over time, if we're not careful, we can start to get this idea in our mind that I can just eat on the run. I can just kind of pull away from the table and I can eat a meal as I listen to the podcast every week. I can watch Pastor Joe on TV. I can watch a TV preacher. I can listen to 95.5 The Fish on my way to work. And like I did my good deed for the day. I checked off my star on the chart and I'm okay. And here's what's sad. 
we actually miss out on the advantages and the benefits that are built into the community that God has commanded us to find at this thing called the table. You know, there's actually an amazing book that I would highly recommend you get, and it's called Eating Together by Alice Julier. And, and literally all she did was she studied people that ate together in community at a table consistently, and then she compared them with people that didn't. It was really fascinating. Like one of the things that she discovered is that the table is an equalizer. Here's what I mean by that. She, she started studying these people that came from these different backgrounds. I mean, different races, different family dynamics, uh, different socioeconomic statuses, just anything you could think of that would divide them typically. But when they began to eat at the same table and break the same bread, there was something that shifted in their perspective of people, and they just started to see them as the same as them. Like they stopped seeing the things that were different, and they started seeing the things that brought them together. And I thought that was interesting because to me that sounds an awful lot like the church. Because, I mean, how cool is it that all of us struggle with different sins, but we all need the same Savior? All of us were hungry and thirsty, and when we pulled up to the table, we all came to the same person to feed us and fulfill us and sustain us. I mean, this is the church that says red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. It's not about the things that divide us that are different. It's about the things that bring us together, because we can all agree on one thing. We all need Jesus. We're all messed up, and we need a Savior. Can we get an amen on that one? Like, that's just the truth in God's church. So, I want to just take a second and look back at the early church, because remember, they're the blueprint for the table. I mean, they were the ones that started the table after Jesus ascends back into heaven, and here's here's what they did. They had it down. I want you to just listen to words about togetherness and sharing and meals, and look how often it occurred uh, in in the early church. Acts 2.46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Each day, like not once a week, but like each day. They were so excited about what God was doing in their life. They couldn't wait till the next meal. They couldn't wait till the next moment. Now, here's what it goes on to say. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now, time out. The next part is the result. When we commit to staying at the table and pulling up a seat at the table, there's something really cool that happens. Our purpose is realized, and we start to do what the church was called to do. Here's what it says. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. In other words, their priorities were in the right place. They had a purpose, and they started to make the table bigger and bigger and bigger. There's always more room at the table of the Lord. We got to know that. Now, I I like this expression. We say it all the time. Families who eat together stay together, right? Like, that's a thing. And this is exactly what Alice discovered. One of the other things that she found out is that people, families, are just groups of people that were committed to eating at the table. They, had, they tended to have a healthier diet. And so it's interesting, like when you eat in front of the TV or you eat in your car and a lot of your meals happen there, uh, you tend to kind of settle for cheap counterfeits and and foods that aren't nutritious and aren't going to build you up. But when we take the time to be intentional and eat at the table, there's something that happens where we're actually eating a more well-rounded, balanced meal. And and here's the point I want to make. If you're taking notes, I think this is really helpful. When we get together, we get honest. And when we get honest, we get healthy. This is a great scripture that I think helps you see what I'm saying. Ephesians 4.15 says it this way. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, here's that word, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Can I just tell you the reason that most Christians never get from chair one to chair three? 
They don't have enough honesty built into their lives to help them get there. I, I have so many people that are in my life, and I have intentionally reached out to them. My wife is one, my parents, my friends, the people that I work with, and I have given them permission to speak the truth, and in love is an important part, right? In love, to speak the truth to me so that I can be challenged to change chairs from chair one to chair three. I've had that built into my life for a long time. Some of us are missing out on that, and I just want to ask you this morning at Believer's Church, who do you have built into your life that can speak the truth in love? Because when you do that, you start to get honest. And when you start to get honest, you start to get healthy. Now, one of the things that happens at our table, at our house, is sometimes every now and then our kids will actually finish all the food on their plate if they really like what they're eating. It's not often, but it does happen. And so this one time, Joey was a couple years younger, and, and he said, Daddy, I'm still hungry, and I ate all my food. And I was like, good boy. And I'm Italian. I do more really well. I can always get you more. And so I went into the kitchen, and I got him some more, and I came back, and I placed it in front of him. And you know what he said? I'll never forget this. He said, I didn't want that to be my more. And I, I just, I had to laugh because I was thinking, man, this is, is this not what we do with God sometimes? Like our spiritual father, he, he doesn't just know what we want, but he knows what we need. He knows the thing that's actually going to produce something in us that brings life. And so he doesn't always just put the thing in front of us that's easy and the thing that we want. But he says, hey, I actually know what you need so that you can grow. And when we can commit to staying at the table, we can have meals like that. Now, I love it that we have a pastor, uh, Pastor Joe and Pastor Gina, who he's committed to us. And he lives in the same area that we do. You know, like, I'll give you a great example. Eating out is a lot of fun, right? Like, I love eating out. We didn't do it a whole lot with a family of four kids growing up. And so when we went out to eat, I made up for lost time. I would have my own little deal with the waitress, and I would just say, just keep the breadsticks coming, honey. The minute that you see them going empty, just fill them right back up. And, like, there was, you know, I just tell him, charge him more. Tell him, that's my dad. I just loved eating out. But there's something about eating out. If you do it every day, if you do it all the time, you're not going to get the essentials that you need. And that's why you need home-cooked meals. And I think it's so cool that we can be a part of a church family, the local church, and it doesn't have to be Believer's Church, but somewhere we haven't cornered the market on Christianity. There's a dozen great churches in the area, but if you haven't found one yet, you got to find a church where you say, I'm going to stay at the table here. I know that they have a, a view of what's on the menu for the rest of the year. And Pastor Joe, when I show up every week, he knows what he's going to teach me in February. And he knows what he's going to teach me in June. And he is going to make sure I get not just the fun stuff, but I'm going to get the stuff I don't want, but I need. And it's going to help me to grow. And let's just, let's put a bow on it with this statement. This is one that you'll remember. If you want to be stable, stay at the table. If you want to be stable, stay at the table. You, you watch people that are followers of Jesus that have true stability in their life. And they have committed to stay at the table. And you might be that person that needs to every now and then just say, hey, sit down, Judith. Don't get up. Don't give up on the process of the table because there's so much more good happening here than bad. Sit down and stay at the table. That's what maturity means. Now, here's, here's number two. Maturity means I bring something to the table. Maturity means I bring something to the table. Now, I have this holiday feast up here, just some samples of some things. Uh, you know, it always amazes me that somehow at the holiday time, we can even make green beans taste good. And you got to sprinkle some of those onions on there or whatever it is. But there's, there's, you know, this is kind of like the unsung hero at the table. Goes well with anything. I grew up in an Italian house, as I mentioned. So I was not aware of these for the first many years of my life until I married an Irish wife. And I have made up for lost time with mashed potatoes. Let me just tell you that. They are good. 
Now, um, I'm not going to pick this up, but there's a beautiful holiday ham here. There's a nice caramelization. You can't smell it over there, but it is amazing. And then, of course, you've got to chase it down with a nice piece of pie. Is anybody hungry right now in God's house? Can I get an amen? Now, listen, there's one thing that's not here that is probably the most underrated food at the table, and I'm going to say it's the rolls, the rolls from the video. <laughs> but, but listen, the rolls are so great because it's like the perfect vehicle to sop up all the food that you left behind on your plate. I could preach about this for days. Anyways, Lord help me. Now, I think we can all agree that one of the beauty, uh, beauties of the holidays is that we can actually, in a family, all bring our specialty to the table. And it's so much better than it would have been if one of us would have prepared the whole meal. Like, there's just something about it that, like, grandma knows how to make the best pies. We were in an Italian house, so, like, we didn't, like, the ham was the side dish in our house. It was the pasta. It was the rigatoni and the, cala, the uh, uh, you know, all, all the different things. We had eggplant parmesan and chicken parmesan, and, like, that was the afterthought was the turkey. But anyways, there's just something about everybody bringing their best to God's table. Now, did you have a moment in your life as you began to grow and mature where the mom who typically made the home meal kind of took you aside and said, hey, it's time for you to stop just taking something from the table and start bringing something to the table. I remember when my mom just used to give me like these subtle little hints like, hey, sweetie, um, I know last year and the year before and your whole life you haven't really brought anything to the table, but this year I need you to just bring something and say it real sweet. And so I was like, all right, um, I have like $6. I can get some cranberry ginger ale and I'll get some cookies from Kmart and that is my contribution. Thank God I didn't start with turkey the first time. Everyone was praising Jesus because of that. But listen, comes a moment where we're challenged to stop just receiving and taking from the table and to start actually bringing something to the table. Now, this is a theme in Scripture. I want to share with you a Scripture that I think really helps us to hone in on what God has in mind. This is 1 Peter 4.10. It says this, be generous with the different things God gave you. I love that we're at a generous church and that people are generous with, with what they have in their hand. And then this is, this is cool imagery. It says, passing them around so all get in on it. I mean, does that sound like a table to you? It's like, hey, pass the mashed potatoes, pass the turkey, uh, pass the green beans. There's just something about, like, I brought this to the table, but now I get to share it with other people. And it's such an amazing picture. Now, look what it goes on to say. It gives us some specifics. It says, if words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get all the credit. Think about this. This is kind of like another way of saying, hey, Pastor Joe, the the church, it doesn't exist just so we can watch him stand up here and entertain us once a week. Actually, the Bible says that the church is most effective when the body is ministering to the body. He's actually, his assignment on earth is actually to equip the saints for the work of ministry. His assignment isn't just to make the main meal, but his assignment is to help all of us to learn how we can make it together so that we can pull up to the table and bring something to contribute in God's house. And I think this is a great weekend to talk about this because we're receiving this hard for the house offering so that we can expand our table, so that we can expand our reach, multiply our efforts, and reach more people in chair one. And you know what? Not all of us are going to have amounts in the same size, but they're all equal. Not all of us are going to write checks that are the exact same amount. Some of us are going to have really, really big checks and really, really small ones. But God knows our heart, and he knows what we're giving from, and he's going to bless us all the same when we all bring something to the table. This is how God works. Now, here's the question that I think all of us want to ask this morning. I'm I'm asking you to ask this of yourself. 
what do I have to bring to the table? Like, what do I have that is unique to me that when I bring it to the table, it makes the church better? Because we always say it this way, we're better together. Well, we're not the same apart as we are together. And here's the challenge. If we're honest, it is so much easier to sit than it is to serve. That's the challenge. It's so much more comfortable and familiar just to sit instead of serving other people. Jesus knew this, and the disciples, they would have these constant conversations with, with Jesus in the gospel, and they would be like, hey, Jesus, like, how do I become the greatest in your kingdom? They would get kind of caught up in, like, what seat at the table they had. Like, hey, can I sit at the head of the table? Hey, like, in eternity, can I sit on your right, and can he sit on your left? And they would just have these conversations with Jesus, and Jesus would always kind of turn that on its head. And here's what he said in one conversation in Luke 22. He said this, who would you rather be? the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? Then he answers his own question. And he says, you'd rather eat than be served, right? Because, I mean, that's human nature. Jesus gets that. But then I want you to pay attention to what he says next. Remember, he's the king of the universe, created everything. But this is where he finds his identity. He says, but I've taken my place at the table among you as the one who serves. Now I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me so you can eat and drink at my table. And just time out, isn't it cool to know we still get to eat from the table even when we serve at the table. Like Jesus still lets us get in on it and get some food. But then here's the cool thing. He says, in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. So I think it's important to note that he's actually talking about eternity. Jesus is actually talking about someday we're going to be entrusted with things, responsibilities. But did you know this? That everything that we experience on earth is actually a dress rehearsal for what we're going to do for the rest of eternity. That the church is actually a picture of God's kingdom someday. And what we do today and how we're entrusted and how we respond is actually going to determine how much God trusts us with for all of eternity. And that's a sobering thought, but it's an encouraging thought because here's the cool part. Did you notice that he says, as you take up your responsibilities, that you're actually strengthened? I just challenge you to find some people today or maybe some people you know that serve here at Believer's Church. And man, we have amazing volunteers and we celebrate them at every turn. But if you were to just go up to them and ask them, hey, what's it like to serve here? I think that the lie that our culture tells us is that when we give, we have less. And here's what they would tell you. I, I guarantee it. Every one of them that is committed and serves and they pull up to the table and they bring something to the table, they will tell you this. The thing that you think depletes me is actually the thing that completes me. The thing that looks like it's taking from me is actually the thing that is giving to me because I am strengthened as I serve. It's why Jesus said, the food that I have, you don't understand it, but it's the food to finish the work that my father sent me to do. That actually feeds me more than anything else in this world. We're strengthened as we serve. Now, if we could just kind of like fly up to 30,000 feet and ask the question, what is Jesus really trying to communicate here? Here's what I'm convinced he's saying. Jesus is saying that true maturity says the meal isn't just about me. The meal isn't just about me. So we could say it this way. Chair three says it's not about me. Chair three says it's not about me. And I, I think a perfect example of this is a mom. I mean, all of us know the, the mad dash that moms make on Thanksgiving morning, morning and Christmas morning. I mean, they wake up at 4 a.m., and they have four different ovens going, and they have six things on the burner. They haven't showered or looked in the mirror. My mom looks beautiful. I'm just talking about your mom. But they, they, just, they, they are not 
concerned about what they look like at all. The only thing they're concerned about is how many people can I fit at this table? How much food can I get on their plate? Because they need to be fed. Now think about this. Once the meal starts and they're kind of doing the final preparation and they're seasoning the meal, a true mom, a true chef that really, really serves people, she sacrifices her preferences and how she would like the food prepared so that she can please more people. I mean, she might like the salt this way and the pepper this way, and she might have all of these different opinions, but when it comes to reaching more people and feeding more people, she's even going to sacrifice her own preference. And she might never sit down to eat. How many have the mom that you haven't seen her sit down at the holiday dinner table for 20 years? She is just serving people and concerned about how many people can I serve today at Christmas? And I I just think like, man, that's amazing because here's what she's doing. She's become a self-feeder. Like, Chair number one, think about this. Chair number one has to be all about me. I mean, it's, it's a baby. They can't do much for themselves. They need other people to feed them. But chair, I'm sorry, that's chair number two. But chair number three, chair number three says, no, 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 it's not about me. I'm going to take a shift from being concerned with what I can get to what I can give. Think about this. Babies wear bibs. Adults wear aprons. Babies wear bibs, adults wear aprons. There's just kind of this shift that happens in our mentality when we really see the table for what it is. We start to see, man, the only reason I'm at the table is because someone cared enough about me to serve me and to sacrifice their preferences so that I could experience God's presence. This is the way that the table works. And this is actually in the Bible. I love it when the Bible literally illustrates my point. 1 Peter 5.5, listen to this. All of you, this is talking to people in the house of God, must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. Babies wear bibs. Adults wear aprons. God's trying to help us to see in chair three that it's not about me. Now, here's the final thing that maturity means. This is where we're going to land. Maturity means I multiply. I want you to just think in terms of a physical body for just a second. What is the, the number one measurement that helps us determine if a body has reached peak maturity. It's the ability to reproduce, right? I mean, that's, that's what the process of puberty is pointing to. Maturity means I multiply. I can, I can reproduce after my own kind. Can we think about this? God has been saying this since the beginning of the Bible. God actually commanded us to be fruitful and multiply in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he says, hey, I want you to make multiples called disciples, And they're not really disciples unless they are disciples making disciples. So true maturity, it multiplies. Now, I want to just give you some practical things that all of us can do. If we're really all in at this table called Believer's Church, and we're heading into one of the most exciting moments of the year, which is Christmas at BC. If you've never been to Christmas at BC, oh, you have to come. It's going to be the most incredible thing, and you can't come alone. And listen, when we've been at the table long enough, it's just really easy to get kind of comfortable with our spot at the table. You've been in a church long enough, and you kind of have your seat, and God forbid someone who doesn't know it's your seat walks in and takes your seat. It could get ugly, right? Not at this church, just at the other churches. Maybe someone cuts you off in the parking lot. I mean, we all kind of just remember when we were just floating on cloud nine, and everything was perfect, and we came here, and Pastor Joe always had the right things to say. He was always teaching on our favorite subject, always serving up our favorite food. The the band always had our favorite song they were playing. 
But I think we can get to this point where we've just kind of gotten so used to what we're living in, so familiar with our faith that like we walk in one Sunday and somebody cuts us off in the parking lot, someone's sitting in our favorite seat, Pastor Joe is talking about tithing and generosity, and we're like, really, Pastor Joe, really? And, and then they're singing that one song again, you know what I'm saying, that one song that even God is tired of, and you're like, are we going to sing this again? I don't think God even likes this song. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can just become kind of like food critics, it's kind of just like, oh, 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 this is a fine wine. I didn't like the afterbirth in that, in that flavor. And just, we can get so consumed with all the details that don't matter. And what God is trying to say, I'm just having a little fun. Can we have fun in church this morning? I think what God's trying to say is, hey, no, no, no. True maturity multiplies. And when we multiply, we make room. Think about this. When you have a baby on the way, everything in your life changes. I mean, you start just getting all these rooms prepared. You've got all their clothes laid out. You've got plans for the rest of their life. I mean, like, if you're really a crazy parent, which I know a lot of you are, you're like playing classical music on your wife's belly. You're talking to it, a goo 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 ga ga. This is your daddy. I love you. I mean, just anything you can do to prepare and make room for this new addition to your family. And I love that we're a part of a church that does that. I mean, we go crazy for our guests and we go crazy for chair one because we see the potential in them. And we see that this is the future of the church, that there's always more room left at the table. I want you to just think about this. You have the ability next week to save a seat, and someone can actually get saved in that seat. Like, how insane is that? You can save a seat and save a soul in one motion. Like, it's incredible. I watch it happen over and over again. But what can can tend to happen is, if we're not careful, we can kind of just creep back into comfort in the familiar, and we can miss out on a miracle that God actually wants to use us to make happen. So I want to end by just sharing with you a story that I heard that just kind of opened my eyes up to what this could look like for a church. You know, there's this uh, pastor, and his name is Judd Wilhite. He's an amazing pastor. If you ever want to check him out, he, he pastors Central Christian Church. It's in Las Vegas. Can you imagine having a church in Las Vegas? Now, he had a pretty incredible story. I mean, he used to be an addict, And uh, for years and years of his life, ran away from God, and God finally got a hold of him, and he takes over this church as somebody in his 20s, and it is a mega church. They've been around for 40 years, and the last pastor was incredible. One of the things that God starts dealing with him to do uh, when he he starts at this church, he's been there for a couple years, and he realizes, hey, we live in the addiction capital of the world, and we do not have an addiction recovery ministry. And he was like, I could not believe it when I said it because I was a former addict and I was still, he was getting his tokens every year and everything, but they did not have a ministry focused on that. And he started realizing, man, I don't know if we're a chair one church. I don't know if we're really existing and beating to reach the people that are not yet at the table. So he started challenging his church. Remember, they're in Las Vegas. I mean, there are people that are broken and hurting everywhere and they're not fully reaching them. So he starts challenging them, and here's all he asked them to do. He said, I just want you to ask the question, who is hurting around me? And how can I meet them at the point of their pain so I can pull them into the table and show them a real healer, and his name is Jesus? That's all he challenged them to do. So there's this guy named Cody. Cody was a professional fisherman. He was actually a millionaire, and he has this addiction, and it's growing. He's mainly addicted to crack. And, And so Eventually, his family relationships start to deteriorate. He loses his wife. He loses his kids. He starts to eat through $700,000 worth of savings. Can you imagine this? 
gets to the end of his savings from this drug habit, and he has this beautiful home, and he empties out everything that he has in his home, and he sells it for pennies on the dollar so that he could have enough money to take a bus to go to Las Vegas, and then he starts to live in a field, and you know where this field was? It was right next to Central Christian Church. So Cody is living in this homeless camp in this field by this church, and Cody, by his own admission, stinks. Uh, he, he said that all of the homeless people in this camp would take the long way around his tent. He's like, that's how you know you stink. When homeless people all think you stink. Like he said, it was just bad. And so there's this rumor that gets around that this church will let you walk in and you can get a free shower and a hot meal. So Cody gets ready to go into Central Christian Church one Sunday morning. He has no plans to hear a message, uh, no plans to give his life to Jesus. He just wants a shower, hasn't showered for two months. He walks in. And remember, Pastor Judd has been challenging his staff to see people through, not to see through people. He walks in, and you have to imagine that this greeter that meets him at the door, her name was Michelle. You have to imagine that she can't just see him, but she can smell him at a distance. But God tells her to just do a simple act. And so when he gets close enough, she says, you look like you need a hug. And Cody didn't know what to do with that. He said, you don't want to hug me, I stink. And just like any good greeter would, she just powered right through, baby, and just planted the biggest hug you've ever seen on him. And then she whispered something in his ear. She said, Jesus loves you. And Cody will tell you, he didn't know what was happening in him in that moment as he sat there in his, in his stank. And at the worst moment of his life, someone actually saw good in him and hugged him and said, Jesus loves him. There was something that broke inside of him. These barriers that he had built against God for his entire life began to come crumbling down. And I'd be lying if I said that day he gave his life to Jesus. But you know what kept happening? Cody just came week after week and kept taking showers, kept eating some free meals. And eventually there was this moment where it all clicked. And he came to chair one. He hears the message of salvation, responds to it, and his life gets radically changed. Now that's not even where it ends. Listen, Cody gets a job, gets his life back together starts to help homeless people, and Judd starts to write a book and ends up writing Cody into one of the chapters. Remember, he hasn't talked to his daughter for years and years and years, doesn't know where she is. She has no clue where he is. She ends up getting a hold of this book, reading the chapter, doesn't even know his last name, says, this sounds like my dad, reaches out to Pastor Judd and says, I think you have my dad. They reconnect they have a close relationship today. God has restored all of these things that years and years of abuse have broken. And guess what Cody does for a living today? Cody actually is a pastor, and he pastors homeless people in the same field where he used to be homeless. I think we ought to just take a second and give it up for Jesus that he finds broken and hurting people at the point of their pain and changes them. So let me just ask you this morning, could it be, that maybe there's a Cody somewhere in your life, and this is the week, this is the time where God's going to use you to do a simple act to heal the hurt in their life. And all you have to do is be obedient and respond and be sensitive and have your ears and your eyes open to their pain. I want to end with this scripture. There's this moment where Jesus is sharing a parable. He's talking about this master who had an amazing banquet, an amazing feast. And he invites all these people that would belong. They looked the part, but none of them would come. And so he becomes angry and he tells his servants, I want you to go and I want you to invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the hungry 
anybody that doesn't look the part, and I want you to tell them this banquet is for them. I want you to just listen to what, what happens here. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I think what God is probably asking some of us this morning is, will you go out? You willing to go out of your comfort zone? Maybe go out of your way a little bit? Go out of your cubicle? Go out of your yard? I know as I was preparing this message, literally what God challenged me with, he said, Joe, you've prepared a meal at Christmas at BC. The table is set, but who's going to come? Are you willing to go out of your way and compel some people to come in? Can I make one promise to you? If you can get them here, I promise you God can do the rest. If you can get them here, I promise God will get a hold of them. I've watched it happen over and over and over again. This is a church that knows how to speak the language of the lost, knows how to find people at the point of their pain. And one of the things that I would challenge you to do is not just to invite them, but to bring them. Sometimes I've just watched, I can have a tendency to do this. I just get so psyched up to like put an invite in their hands and I'm like, hey, there's this thing in my church and you should come and okay, I'll see you later. And I miss out on a moment. And like, what I would challenge you to do is, what if you actually offered to bring them? If they're like, yeah, I don't have a ride, you can say, I can bring you. I can, I can fit you in my van. If they're like, yeah, no, I got a dinner. I'll feed you. I'll take you to a restaurant after. I mean, whatever you have to do, speak their language. It could be the best sacrifice you ever make because it could save a soul. And I promise you, you will never feel more satisfied and more complete and more full of purpose than when you commit to say, I'm going to make room and multiply at God's table. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. This is the most important moment of every service. So I'm going to ask you, if at all possible, to just remain seated and allow God to do what he wants to do. You know, in an audience this size, even on a snowy weekend, I, I just am very aware that there are some people sitting in these chairs. And some of you, this message resonates with you on a whole new level. And you might have even grown up in church, but you can just honest, if you're honest, you're like, no, I've never had a moment where I made it real with Jesus. I've heard about him. I don't think I could say I know him, Joe. And listen, you're in a room among friends and there are hundreds of people who could say the same thing. Hey, there was a moment when I made it real with Jesus. There was a moment when someone saw me and I was lost and I was broken and I was hurting and alone and someone saw something in me and invited me to the table. They didn't have to, but they wanted to. And I met Jesus. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus. In a world that tells us that there's all kinds of different ways to heaven, there's all kinds of different versions of truth, there's no absolute. Jesus kind of said the opposite. He said, no, no, no. He said, actually, there's only one way to the Father. It's through me. I'm the gate. I'm the door. No one comes to the Father except through me because I'm the way and the truth and the life. Then he gives us this really simple response. He says, hey, if you believe in your heart that that's true and you say it with your mouth, you confess it that I'm Lord, you'll be saved. You'll be rescued from an eternity separated from me in a place called hell. And you'll inherit an eternity with me in a place called heaven. And here's the coolest part. God doesn't want to just change your eternity. He wants to change your here and now. We always say that there's no perfect people allowed and that God loves you right where you are, but he loves you way too much to let you stay there. And so this is the most important invitation I can give to the table of the Lord, and I'm inviting you. Are you ready to make that decision? So the rest of the church that's prayed this prayer, they're going to help you out. I'm just asking you to repeat it after me, and if you mean it from your heart, a miracle will take place. Are you ready? Say this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus 
thank you for inviting me to the table, for seeing me in my worst, at my farthest from you, in bridging the gap through this thing called the cross. Thank you that you would have died only for me if I was the only one. You loved me that much. And now I give you my heart and I give you my life. And I say, Jesus, take the wheel. Be my savior and my Lord. I won't be perfect, but I'm gonna take a step today. And every day from here on, I am a Christian in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.